Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And here we go, hour three on a great day for talk radio, albeit brisk. It's uh, minus six on a waterfront. We're still in the deep freeze for a little while. As a matter of fact, the forecasters from Environment Canada were saying that uh, it's going to be kind of like a switch going off in mid-March, and suddenly we'll get to instant spring. But we still have to go through the next couple, three weeks of this uh, cold and blustery weather. Boy, it got pretty bad last night, uh, whipping the snow around, and as a consequence, a lot of whiteouts on the road. And earlier this morning, that 70-plus car uh, or vehicle accident on the 400 closed it in both directions, but it's now since uh, opened. We've also had the 115, saw a similar site, Highway 26 between Collingwood and Barrie closed in both directions. And that's from the lee of the lake. You get that kind of uh, inclement weather. So spring is still just... Well, a figment of our imagination. I was asking the panel, curiously enough, though, uh, when it comes to the harbingers of spring, what are the telltale signs? Used to be the Leafs out of the playoffs. Uh, But now, of course, we've seen that uh, they've got a better team, albeit they didn't do much at the trade deadline to augment their chances against stiff competition going forward. Last hour, Bill Waters, former uh, assistant GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, weighed in, and uh, he was sort of perplexed as to why they never actually did anything to confront the heavies in the division like Boston and Tampa and so on and so forth. But we'll leave that for now. Pick up on that as a point of discussion a little later in the hour. As well as the Harbingers of Spring, i got to be honest with you. For me, it uh, has to do with the Masters Golf Tournament. You know, Then you know you're fully into spring. Second weekend in uh, April and uh, everything is rosy down there in Augusta. And I don't know. You just sense that the golf season's around the corner. I know, Mike Downey, it's seeing your first Robin. Uh, you get all giddy over that, don't you? I've become a little verklempt, yes. <laughs> all right, enough of the tomfoolery. There are other matters I wanted to address, not least of which are some legal stories that have made our radar. And uh, Joseph Newberger has joined us again, Global News Radio's law expert with Newberger and Partners. Joseph, how are you doing? I'm very good, John. How are you? Pretty good. By the way, when it comes to a signal that spring is here, uh, what is it for you? Well, it is a little bit of thawing because I am freezing, you know, more, a little bit more sun and seeing the ice on my driveway melt and me not slip, that would do it for me. Well, okay. Uh, so that's still going to be a while is the point here. <laughs> All right. So true. Let me ask you about something. You know, it was on the roads out there uh, last year at about this time, I guess, in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, where we had uh, that horrific outside of Humboldt, uh, obviously, it was with the team on their way to a playoff game. Uh, and that horrific bus crash. Now the coroner's report on this matter is calling for mandatory seatbelts for buses that go out onto the highway. Uh, A, does that make sense? Or B, uh, how could you practically impose that or police that? Well, you know, I'm a little shocked that we don't have that already in place. So I think that's an excellent idea. I mean, any any bus, school bus, charter bus, et cetera, should have seatbelts, and then it's a requirement Uh, for individuals to use them, just like on an airplane. So if they choose not to, they do that at their own risk. But then whoever is, you know, sort of monitoring 
you know, like the steward or a stewardess on the on the bus, you know, please do up your seatbelts. But I think it's incredibly important. And if a, a team is going on a chartered bus, they're not doing up their things. I think it's the responsibility of maybe the coach and the management to make sure that they are doing up their seatbelts. Whether it would have saved lives or not is beside the point. I think it's a very good safety measure because we have that in place with cars and various other modes of transportation. So I think that's a very solid and intelligent approach that the coroner took, and I think that should be mandatory. Yeah, it's interesting because we even see that with uh, school buses and where the kids are not buckled up or strapped in, and part of the argument is that uh, it's safer not to uh, because in the event of something they can uh, extricate themselves, I guess, or uh, there's enough room within the seats so that, uh, I, you know, I don't even know the argument myself. I just remember having this discussion on a number of occasions. So there has to be a reason why you're surprised that it hasn't already been implemented as policy. Yeah, like I'm no safety expert, but, you know, we all know that if you're in an automobile accident, you're in a minivan and you've got your seatbelt on, you have a greater chance of staying in your seat than hitting the roof or hitting some other part of the car or vehicle that could cause significant injury to you. And if you need to extricate yourself quickly, whichever students is being carried on that uh, on that bus, they certainly could be instructed on how to get it off. I mean, you know, I, I, I had my six-year-old on an airplane with a seatbelt, and he learned how to take it on or off pretty quickly. I mean, and now he's 12, and it's not an issue. So I really think it's sort of a no-brainer at this point in life. Again, with Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio's law expert, help me walk uh, walk me through this uh, story that's just come out today. Uh, in a notice of intent to sue filed last month, lawyers for Ontario Provincial Police Deputy Commissioner Brad Blair alleged that uh, Doug Ford damaged the officer's reputation when he accused him of breaking the Police Services Act by speaking out against the hiring of a Ford family friend for the force's top job. Blair's lawyer, Julian Faulkner, further alleges that Ford's comments were meant to intimidate his client, who publicly criticized Toronto Police Superintendent Ron Tavener's appointment as OPP commissioner. First of all, uh, in this notice of intent to sue, does that mean that this is a suit that's going to proceed, or is there any remediation of that? Look, I suppose, you know, it, it is the start of a lawsuit, so you're giving notice. So if he wanted to retract or make an apology, he could, and that might forego the lawsuit. But it is pretty serious, also considering the, the spectacle that went on about Doug Ford's appointment of that uh, commissioner. So if there were comments made which denigrated the individual and, uh, you know, was inappropriate, I think it's, it's he's in the right here. And um, it really was very, it was just very suspicious. You know, Tabner, who wanted to come in as the commissioner and he wants to appoint, may have been very well qualified, but generally within the OPP, you look with inside, you look within the ranks, that didn't happen. And this was really just unsightly and so unnecessary. And it may have crossed, you know, I'm no liable and slander expert, but this may have very well crossed the line and been a source of intimidation. And I tend to agree with uh, Julian Faulkner's comments in this regard. Yeah, he goes on to say, specifically, it is alleged that you intentionally, deliberately, and maliciously made statements you knew or ought to have known to be false. He uh, wrote this in a letter to Ford. So we'll have to wait and see how this one proceeds now. And uh, typically, if that's the case, and the court finds in favor of Mr. Blair, uh, what happens? Is that a monetary settlement? How does that work out? Yeah, and I suspect it's covered by, uh, you know, again, there's an issue of privilege because he's the uh, premier of Ontario, and there's got to be some sort of coverage for that. This was said out in the public. It's not said within the legislature, so he doesn't have that type of privilege. 
maybe again i'm sorry it's not my area of expertise but it may be that he has some type of coverage or privilege but there's going to be money that has to be paid because when you make an allegation which isn't true to try and discredit somebody who properly could be the commissioner in favor of somebody you want to choose and put in place it's not good and frankly if these allegations are proven in court it goes way beyond just the monetary damages for libel and slander it's inappropriate meddling in the appointment process that is even more concerning and and this is a shame because i'm a conservative and i don't like seeing this type of behavior it's so incredibly unnecessary to interfere in these types of proceedings when there are so many qualified individuals it's not necessary Again, with Joe Newberger on another defamation suit. I don't know if you followed this story out on the West Coast where uh, the noted Canadian author Stephen Galloway, he's also, uh, I guess, an instructor of creative writing at the University of British Columbia. Uh, he had been, uh, I guess, charged with uh, a sexual assault or uh, something along those lines. And uh, in fact, now the main complainant, who actually had staged a show that intimated that this was the guy, uh, and she did a, a thing about uh, rape and sexual assault in her uh, performance art, uh, right. he has uh, launched a lawsuit uh, against his accuser and more than 20 others, and he uh, actually had named the woman in the suit. Well, now she wants to go to court uh, seeking a publication ban on her identity, uh, even though her name has already been made public. I mean, this is a weird one for me. How can she do that, be uh, anonymized yeah. after the fact? I don't buy it. If you're out there in the public doing a performance and then being out essentially to get your message out as to what you say was an abuse and who did it, you've given up your right to anonymity. Absolutely not. It's quite different than when somebody makes a complaint to the police and you fall through the trial process and the criminal justice process, then there are publication bans, et cetera, to put the identity of the individual in a form of protection. She waived that. If this is what she's done, she's had a performance and, and has really been out in the public about it, she's waived it. And if he wants to go on the offense to say that this is, you know, a fabrication, et cetera, et cetera, you know, more power to him. I mean, this is where we are now with these fights that are going on because of the Me Too movement. We're litigating it in social media and in the, in the mainstream media. This is not the way it should play out. This is not the way we should malign people. And if she's tr a true victim of abuse it should go through the proper channels let that play out properly let's not taint the whole process which it seems to me this is what's happened now and it's it's a shame but her lawyers go on to say that not protecting her identity would cause harm to the woman and lead to a chilling effect on disclosures of sexual assault or harassment in general so yeah i think you know where i stand on that i mean don't come out publicly don't speak to media don't do a performance don't do all that type of thing if you want to have anonymity i'm sorry you waive it. If you want to come out and make allegations publicly and do it in a performance or art or however else you want to frame it, I think you are now not protecting your own name. You're going out into the public. There may be a valid reason for somebody to do that. More power to them. If they have been a victim and they want to come out and they want to publicize this, and they want to bring discourse and they want to you know, educate people about it, that's great. But you no longer have anonymity. And it's not going to stop other people from coming forward because they may just use the system appropriately. If you've been a victim of violence, go to the police, give a statement, let the police do their job, and don't do something publicly, and you'll be just fine. 
You know, it's interesting because I, uh, recently I had a conversation with another criminal defense attorney who talked about uh, going before hmm. a judge. Somebody other than me? No, I, I wasn't cheating on you. Believe me, All it was right. an inadvertent conversation, but <laughs> he's a big admirer of yours, by the way. Oh, the, okay, the, good. The, the point, though, in these matters, say, of uh, sexual assault or complaints uh, of this nature, uh, he said something curious about presenting before a female or a male judge. So if you have in this instance, for example, with Mr. Galloway, uh, a female complainant, and you had to represent Galloway, uh, what would your preference be to have it heard before or tried before a female or a male judge, or does it matter? Honestly, a female. Why is you that? Know, look, I, you know, I, 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 I'm going to say this with a lot of trepidation. I think any male or female judge will try and do their best to stick to the law and do everything they can. And there have been a lot of very strong judges who are both male and female to reach the right verdicts in cases or make the right decisions. I find a lot of female judges are very brave, frankly, and are very, you know, to the law and want to assess cases appropriately on the facts and on the merits. And I find that they give good trials. I I just, I, I don't, I don't feel the bias uh, you know, that others may may seem to feel. Um, but I do have, and I've said this for years when you've had me on the show, I have a very strong confidence and support in our judiciary, both at the Ontario Court of Justice and the Superior Court of Justice, that, you know, they are really trying to do the right thing, regardless of gender, regardless of bias issues, they want to reach beyond them. But, you know, I, I, I frankly like, you know, when I pick a jury, I tend to try and pick, you know, mature women over a certain age because I think they're critical, they're intelligent, and they want to really look to do what's right. You know, uh, that echoes his sentiments entirely. So you guys are all on the same page. Finally, you know, since we've got uh, female uh, legal people in places of high power, uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould's name comes to mind, and she's supposed to testify before the... uh, investigative committee tomorrow, the Justice Committee. Uh, but some people have, and this was a piece, I guess, in a Weekend Globe as well, uh, where it's been speculated that maybe you've got to divide Justice Minister from Attorney General. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's very, it's very important point you're raising, because she, as the Attorney General, has a, a fiduciary and solicitor-client privilege with the Prime Minister in the Prime Minister's office. She has to be able to give advice. That has a solicitor-client privilege. That's not waived at this point. I'm not sure what the prime minister is saying, that she can give a full and frank discussion unless it's waived. And as justice minister, she wants to come out and sort of clear the air as to what went on. But what's important here is that for everybody to pay focus to, there's a difference between whether she felt pressured and she was legitimately pressured and directed. And that's what's important. Uh, I don't feel that without a waiver of solicitor-client privilege, we're going to be able to get at really what happened. Um, that concerns me. And I think in circumstances like this, where we're a government, we're a party who wanted to become in power and wanted to be transparent and non-influential like other governments that they allege, I think it's important in this case that solicitor-client privilege should be waived. The former attorney general or justice minister should be able to speak her mind as to what happened. And then the committee, as well as the Canadian public, can make a fair and balanced decision based upon a full a course of information that will be disclosed to us. Yeah, and that's a, a real critical point. It's sort of now uh, where I guess the Prime Minister finds himself somewhat on the knife's edge or on the horns of a dilemma here because uh, Andrew yeah. Scheer has wanted him to come forward and testify before the committee as well. And if he doesn't waive privilege for Jody Wilson-Raybould or he box at that, any notion that his was going to be government done in a different way and transparency was going to be one of the hallmarks of his new government, that, that 
has gone right out the window, hasn't it? You're absolutely right. Now, I've been very critical of this Liberal government for a lot of their criminal law legislation. You know that. I mean, I think they've been really quite knee-jerk and, and doing things which are very bad for our system of justice. That being said, I do believe that when you're running a government and you're looking at what is in the best interests of Canada, you're looking at economics, jobs, all sorts of things, you have got to be able to seek legal advice from your attorney general. You've got to be able to have discussions about you know, larger parameters of prosecutions without giving direction. So there's a difference. And you know, I'm concerned about the chilling effect that if solicitor client privilege is also waived and then he's compelled to testify before the committee, what that will do for the future for a prime minister being able to have these type of discussions that may be overall in our interest. But there is a fine line here. And if there was a direction given specifically to, in, to you know, influence the attorney general to get involved in this prosecution and look for a deferred agreement, et cetera, et cetera, that's a no-no. It's bad. And that's the type of corruption that we need to stop. Fair enough. Joseph, always full value. I appreciate it very much. Look forward to talking again real soon, I'm sure. Thank you so much. Have a great show, John, as always. Thank you. Joseph Newberger, Global News Radio's law expert with Newberger and Partners. Well, on that matter, Justin Trudeau testifying before the Justice Committee, if it does come to pass, uh, may just be a feather in his cap. Uh, Is that something that you would advise him to do? You know, I mean, obviously, he's soliciting advice right now. I'm sure Jerry Butts is somewhere in his ear telling him uh, they're trying to sort this one out. But uh, tomorrow is Jody Wilson's Raybold, uh, Raybold's big day. And uh, whether or not anything changes as a consequence, would it change your mind uh, if she said there was nothing really going on? I was not pressured. Let's just uh, move past it all. And we're in good standing. Maybe she's just happy now that uh, Gerald Butts is out of the equation directly. And that was the end game for her as far as she's concerned. I still maintain, I think, the end game in the long-term horizon. She's playing the long game. She'd like to be prime minister one day. I mean, with a requisite uh, cred. I mean, she's was a justice minister, attorney general, indigenous woman. I mean, everything lines up to make her a transformative figure. So uh, that's just my inkling of it. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.